When I grow up, I don't want to be like you. I didn't mean that in a bad way. I had no interest in wanting a career in landscaping. I saw my dad many times suffer through asthma attacks and heat strokes and everything as an older man putting, you know, his body on the line, physical labor. And then I saw my mom as a stay-at-home mom. So it's so hard to take care of kids to do that for her whole life. I said, I want to work in technology. Welcome to Latinx in Power, a podcast hosted by Thaisa Fernandes. Welcome to Latinx in Power. Today we are talking with Noel Claudio. Noel, a highly skilled consultant, both extensive experience serving clients from some of the world's leading Fortune 500 companies, with a bachelor degree in information science and technology from Penn State University. Noel is equipped with the knowledge and expertise to excel in his current role as a regional program manager for Latin at TikTok. Very excited with this conversation. Long, long time we are planning this. I'm so glad we are making it happen today, Noel. Wow. Well, first I want to say thank you for having me on, Thaisa. And as you mentioned, we've been planning this conversation for a very long time. So before I even share more about me, I just want to say appreciate this podcast, this platform, what you're doing for the community. And we both got a chance to work together in a brief time at Twitter. And one of the best moments for me was just being able to partner together on the amazing community we had there with, with Twitter, Alas and more. So a big shout out to you. And yeah, I, I'll share a little bit more about myself on what you just mentioned to provide some context also. So as you as you said, like I'm a regional program manager for Latin America at TikTok, but my career started way, way, way before then in the consulting world. And even before that, as a kid, because as a kid, I wanted to study technology. But when I got into college, I realized very quickly that I was never good at programming. So it got me interested more into a career in program management, project management, started my career for six and a half years, essentially with Deloitte Consulting, another consulting firm, then Slalom, and then ultimately made my way to tech and at Twitter and then now at TikTok. And as a first generation Latino from Philadelphia, raised my entire life and originally from uh, Puerto Rico y República Dominicana, I'm just honored and grateful to be where I am today. And, and I owe all the gratitude to my parents and, and my family and, and everyone that I'm meeting today that gives me this platform. Incredible. Amazing. I'm very excited with this episode. So today we are going to talk more and dive a little bit deeper into Noel's unique perspective as a first-generation college graduate and how it has influenced his work. We will also explore his efforts to support minority communities in the tech industry and his role as an advocate for diversity, equity, and inclusion. So, one of my favorite questions, Noel, what does it mean to be a Latino for you? When I hear the word Latino, I think about my ancestors, our ancestors, and all of the struggles that they've had to go through, all the history behind it, no matter where in Latin America, immigrants coming to the United States, right? You think of Latin food, all the amazing food and culture and history and music that we have. And, and to me, it's an embodiment of all those things mixed together. It's truly a melting pot of so many awesome cultures and experiences that we have from, from history and even to today. So as a Latino, what I think about it is it's an opportunity to 
show your ancestors that anything is possible, that we've come this far. We are bilingual now, right? That we've done so much that, you know, you could have only had dreamed of. And, and we're always fighting. That's the one thing about, you know, Latinos in general. We're always fighting no matter what for our people, for a cause, for each other and for our families. Yeah, I love that. It's so true. We are so vocal, right? To say things that we believe or like in a situation that we don't think is fair. And I love that about us. Is we are so transparent. So yeah, I love what you said. That's very interesting. <laughs> Niall, when we were planning this interview, you shared with me about the challenge of being the first in so many areas and how this leads to not having a reference in some moments. You might share more about your experience being first generation in the U.S. and also first generation to graduate in college. Yeah, absolutely. So I grew up in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And for those who haven't visited or, or know about Philadelphia, Philadelphia is a very tough city. It's a city that, you know, like many other cities in the country, but definitely has a reputation for for many things. And when you grow up in Philly, Uh, you get two sides of the world. You get the the street culture and then you get the beautiful historic culture. Just Philadelphia is, you know, very big in, in the world in terms of the Constitution, in terms of the forming of the United States, the Liberty Bell and, and so much more. But the other side is, you know, there's a lot of communities in Philadelphia that are predominantly, you know, Latinx, Latino, Latina and Black. And for me, growing up as a kid, I didn't have much. My dad was a landscaper who grew up in San Lorenzo, Puerto Rico, and he unfortunately was, uh, he had a lot of issues growing up and he was essentially not able to work much for his life and did a lot of the things under the table. And the way that we had income growing up was, you know, he cut grass, he cut lawns, and that's how we, you know, made a living essentially. And my mom on the other side, who grew up in El Campo in uh, La Mata de Santa Cruz in Dominican Republic, She also came to United States to essentially raise my brother and I with little on, on her back. She didn't know English. She took a big leap of faith at age 26 to bring me as a baby over to Philadelphia. And from there on, a lot of struggles growing up where we didn't have many things, just like, you know, a lot of our stories. And I just remember as a kid that I knew one thing and that was and it sounds bad to say. But the reality is, I think it's very important. And I remember telling my mom and my dad to their face, I said, when I grow up, I don't want to be like you. I didn't mean that in a bad way. I had no interest in wanting a career in landscaping. I saw my dad many times suffer through asthma attacks and heat strokes and everything as an older man putting you know, his body on the line, physical labor. And then I saw my mom as a stay-at-home mom. So It's so hard to take care of kids. I do that for her whole life. I said, I want to work in technology. I want to work in some company where I get to travel, right? Like all of these things were on my mind. But going to how this ties into the first generation, that was a big key here. My mom didn't graduate high school. Neither did my dad. Like they both had to take care of their families growing up. They were not able to go to college. There was no such thing for them. So as a first generation, what that means in the United States is you're the first in your family to go to college. And that's an experience of a lifetime because what are you supposed to do if you don't have someone telling you what this even is, right? I'm going blindly into college, looking at majors and 
networking and all of these things. I had no uncle who's a partner at a company. I had no cousin who went and did this, right? Like it was all on me. So the pressures of a first generation is we have to hold so much weight on our shoulders. There's so much that we need to plan for and organize. Not only do we need to translate for our parents, we need to understand how to apply in high school via FAFSA to understand like what the grants are you can get. Those are things I learned myself. I had to talk to friends and people like, hey, you can actually get student aid and scholarships because you're Latino. There's not a lot of Latinos in college. So when I went to Penn State, I literally survived my four years of college because I had scholarships and I had loans. So I would take the refunds that came back from the package of scholarships and loans, and I would use that to pay my rent with my roommates throughout my years of college. So it means a lot to be first generation. We're always struggling. And the thing is, it doesn't, it starts with college, but it doesn't end there. Like you're first in anything and everything you ever do. So I'm the first in tech. I'm the first in consulting. I'm the first at many things. And I hope I'm definitely not the last. Yeah, it's very lonely being the first. And also I feel that's also a privilege being the first because it means that you're not going to be the only one for the next generation. They will have someone to to get inspired. They'll be inspired by you, Noel, and then you can help them with the college stuff and many, many others. So I think this is an interesting circle of life as well and definitely a privilege, but not easy, not easy. And we have been exploring that in the season of the podcast, talking with a lot of first gen. And to me, I'm learning a lot as well. I still don't understand the college thing in the United States because I didn't study here. <laughs> so I still don't know. I have no idea how it is. I know it's hard, but I'm learning a lot. So thank you for sharing. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I'd say, you know, like you can learn a lot from even like, it's not the perfect comparison, but any of the movies out there, that show what college is like in the United States that you see on TV and such. It's a little bit like that. Like there's, you know, the U.S. college experience, especially for Latinos, is definitely powerful. It is exactly what it is. Like there's never really been a huge majority of, you know, Latinx, Latino and Latina people in some of these predominantly white universities right and so for us it's we're always the minority and it's even you know more difficult when you're 18 19 20 years old having to figure out your life and plan ahead when you're young right you're thinking all different types of things at once and no one at age 18 or 19 is really like oh i i can't wait to be a computer programmer like you know we're <laughs> we're all trying to have fun we're all trying to enjoy our lives and be young and be free so you got to balance that with also knowing that you hold the whole weight of the world on your shoulders, your family's ancestry, their future of your family at times like I did. And you've got that power to change from a situation where you may have grown up poor to a situation where you can have money down the line for generations to come. And you mentioned that you wanted to have a different profession than your parents. And how was your process into technology? Was something that was always in the back of your mind or something that just happened? How was this process for you? So I'll be honest, I, I think when I first was looking at what I wanted to do for my life and when I was in my early college days and even in high school, like I didn't necessarily know much about the tech industry. 
at one point I wanted to be a a lawyer. I wanted to go to the FBI. I wanted to do all this like criminal investigation stuff because that is what I saw on TV a lot. And I thought that was really cool. But I always what I really enjoyed in watching shows like Criminal Minds and, and Law and Order and things like that is when you watch those shows, you know, you see all the people running down the streets who are like doing all the action stuff. Right. But there's always like one or two tech people who are the ones on the computers, right, who are doing all the fun stuff where they're looking up people's like addresses and and everything and typing on the computer fast, right, and sending all the information out to the cops and such. And I thought that was super cool. And I said, you know, I want to do something like that. Like sounds really awesome. And when I went to college at Penn State, I, I did take my first couple years, some courses around programming, uh, like Java and C Sharp. But I quickly realized that I wasn't that good at it. And it's okay. Because tech is not just coding. A big part of tech is coding, but it's not just coding. And there's also a lot of opportunities where if you want to get technical, you can still be technical, but don't have to necessarily code. And that's what, you know, program manager jobs are like and consulting jobs as well, where we work hand in hand with engineering teams and developers. So my interest stemmed from that. It was from watching things on TV. And at the time, you know, social media started to rise too. like, Obviously, you know, at our age, like MySpace was the thing back then. And then you see Facebook, you see Twitter rising when you're in school. And I could have never even imagined that one day I'd be working at a social media company like TikTok today and prior to this Twitter, just because to me, those were just like, I thought that was the application. And I was just like, oh, this is really cool. Like I use this every day, but never thought there was this massive army of people working behind the scenes to build these products. And to me, that's the beauty of technology is that we, and in our community too, and in our population, like we tend to look at kids, for example, and our parents are like, don't play any video games. Like, stop it. That's bad for you, right? Like things like that to all the kids. And now I, it just got me thinking differently because now I actually do the opposite. I asked the kids in my, in my family, I'm like, why do you like this game? What don't you like about it? What would you do differently? Like if you had to build a new player, how would you build that player? Like what features are missing here that you'd like to add? Because I see the vision. I see that if a kid is enjoying a video game, why not go work for that company someday? Why not make your own, right? And that's the beauty of, of tech. Oh my God, that's amazing. So you do use the research with them. That's super cool. <laughs> I don't know how it was for you, but I remember when I was working at Twitter headquarters, which where we used to work. Sometimes I thought, I look at it, it's so beautiful, the decor is amazing, the place is incredible. And I remember myself like using Twitter many, many years ago for the first time. I remember like being afraid I'll tweet something and sound ridiculous or not funny enough or whatever. And then I was like, totally, I'm here. And I couldn't believe, maybe because there's not a lot of people like us in the spaces. And I remember not even believing that I was there, although I worked there for almost four years. So it's very interesting to think about that. Yeah, I, I think that's a very interesting topic. Like, and we had that privilege, right? Because both of us, you know, had, had the opportunity to work at Twitter together. And even though we were both doing different fields, and and I also love to hear from you actually about you know your experience and your job role as well. If you want to share some of that with everyone, I think that'd be awesome. Because from my perspective, when I got to Twitter, it was a dream come true. Like, I I grew up in Philadelphia. 
I never thought I could make it someday to Silicon Valley to go all the way to San Francisco. It was uh, something that, you know, I could never vision, especially with a city like Philly, where it doesn't have the same type of market, you know, that California has or Austin, Texas and such. So it was a true honor to do that. And that experience to me was everything, right? Like you again, you see an app that we use every single day and you're now behind the scenes trying to make it better. And that's what I, I enjoyed about it the most. Like I'd be curious if, if you wanted to share a little bit about your experience. Yeah, I think I feel similar to you. And it was interesting because as I was interviewing, having like four, five, six, seven interviews, it was like, oh my God, this is happening. At the same time, not even believing it. And when actually I was there working. I was so, so, so excited. And it was interesting, like two really important things happened when I joined. I remember it was during the Latinx Heritage Month and I thought they were using some stickers with the Enya in Spanish and the Cedilla in Portuguese. And it was the first time I went to like a Latinx Heritage Month event where I felt represented because my first language is Portuguese and not Spanish. So I saw that and I was like, oh my God, this is incredible. I got a bunch of stickers with the Cedilla and people were asking me like, what is that? I never saw that. And I was like explaining people, like feeling really proud, you know, it's like my language. So this was a very, very important moment to me. And another thing that happened in my first week was a game changer because I was living in the West for the past six years already in living U.S. And I used to go by Thai. So everyone at work, they would call me Thai and I was Thai just because it was easier for people to pronounce my name. And when I joined Twitter and I was like talking with my team and then they asked my name, right? And I was saying, oh, my name is Thaisa and I also go by Thai. And she's my friend now, Cecile. And then she asked me, but which one do you prefer? No one on those like six years never asked me that. Which name you prefer? And then I thought about it and I was like, oh, I kind of like Thai, but my name is Thaisa. I really like my name. And then I said, oh, Thaisa. And then she was like, okay. And everyone was calling me Thaisa. And it was the first time I used my real name in six years. It's crazy to think about it. And I think I didn't realize the importance of that, you know. But I remember like when people used to call me Thaisa and I was like, who? And then I realized, oh, it's me. <laughs> so I think those Ooh. two moments represented well, like everything. It was just really an amazing, amazing experience. Shout out to the the culture, the experience, diversity and inclusion teams, like everything that that made up Twitter what it was in, in the past few years, for sure. And that's that's a beautiful story because that is one of the biggest issues with, you know, the Latinx population. We there's two things you mentioned. I mean, one is we tend to forget about Brazil and we shouldn't. Brazil mm -hmm. is just as much a part of the Latinx conversation as any country, whether you speak Spanish or Portuguese. And, you know, it's unfortunate sometimes. We see it in the U.S. a lot where we'll have things in Spanish, but we leave out Portuguese or, you know, we'll have even like BRGs and ERGs who use a word that's, you know, pronounced in Spanish, but not necessarily mirroring what it would be pronounced in, in Portuguese. And it's, it's not necessarily, there's no perfect solution either, right? Like, for it right now. I think there's a lot of conversations every day around the term Latinx. 
and what it should be and what it shouldn't be. And but at the end of the day, it's it's about us respecting each other's backgrounds and where we come from and and how we pronounce our names. Like that's extremely important, right? Like it, we should be able to go to places where you feel comfortable being who you are and sharing your, especially with your name, right? So someone's calling you that every single day, right? You want it to be correct. And I'm, I'm so glad. And I know it's not just Twitter. I've seen it at TikTok and other places now too, where people are paying more attention to those things. People are paying attention to pronouns and we're making an effort to be inclusive as a whole for everyone. Yeah, I'm seeing that a lot in different environments, different companies. I feel really excited about that. And I love that we are having this conversation about the language because I think what it really means in the end of the day is to having this conversation. It's not about getting right or wrong and how we could be better, but like talking about that and language is changing, language is evolving. Maybe we, we won't get it right away, but maybe it's a path to find another way to express things that is much better. I know there's a conversation about the terms Latinx versus Latina. Some people still use Hispanic, but I feel like we should continue talking about it and figure out like better ways we could communicate. And just having this conversation is incredible. And it's funny how now it's very natural for me. Sometimes people say, oh, I don't know how to say your name. And then I say, oh, it's easy. Let me teach you. <laughs> you know, like we can learn. We can learn. We don't have any issues saying Tchaikovic, right? So we can learn many, many different names. So the way I approach right now, I think it, it also comes with maturity and the way you feel about yourself. For example, when I moved here nine years ago, I was very shy. And sometimes like the way I could deal with the situation was like making my name easier. But now I'm like, no, I'm going to teach you how to pronounce my name. It's not that hard. <laughs> I love that. I love that. I think that's that's what happens when we mature as well. And I'm glad that we are in a space where we can be our authentic self. Everyone, right? Like I, I had people pronounce my name growing up in elementary and middle school as Noel, and I pronounced it Noel. But I had people who are used to saying Noel, and you know, I never really corrected people if they say it. Today, I still don't get necessarily offended by it. But even like when I think of just like why do I feel that way, right? Like should I be offended or not? I'm just like you know what? I've heard it so much that I'm not offended by it. But in reality, I still prefer Noel. Like, I don't know why people call me Noel. So I'm just like, I tell everyone Noel. That's how I introduce myself. And eventually, you know, people catch on and, and you correct others. But I think as long as people are trying to make that attempt to be kind and to try, right, that's all that really matters. Yeah, that's all that matters. You don't need to get it right. Understand that sometimes it might be difficult. For example, I'm native in Portuguese. And when I speak in Spanish, it's very hard for me. They are because they are the way we pronounce in Portuguese is very different from they are in Spanish. So I know that it's not perfect, but it matters a lot when you try and maybe you can improve over time or maybe it will never be perfect, but people will understand you, which it's okay as well. But if you try, this is amazing. And I love to see people trying to say my name or like we can help each other. Love it.
And now another thing that I want to talk with you, personally, I think I learned more about the power of mentorship and sponsorship only after I moved. And I love to hear from you if you had like a mentor, a sponsor, how this process for you and how it impacted your success. And maybe if you have any advice for other Latinxes and how they can use mentors and sponsors. I think the conversation behind mentorship and sponsorship are two different ones. And I feel like starting with like a sponsor and, and the best way I can think about this is relating it to people who have who can make big decisions, right? Who are the decision makers, executive audiences. If you are, for example, like, you know, we've had the chance to work on a BRG together with Alas. Like if we a sponsor is someone who, you know, like has the ability to say, Yes, you can borrow X amount of money to put on your events, right? Or yes, I'm going to donate X amount to help you, you know, get into whatever criteria it is, maybe help you out for scholarship, things like that. Like, like sponsorship is more bigger and it's sometimes very hard to get that. But a mentor is easier. But here's the thing about our community is that we just don't like help at all. Hey, we're very stubborn. And especially, you know, Latino men are very stubborn. We want to do everything for ourselves. I mean, heck, we don't even like going to the hospitals. All right. We don't like going to a doctor's appointment. Like I'm guilty of that, too. So when it comes to mentors, right, it's especially in tech also, right, like which is a industry that is suffering for many, many years and now still suffering when it comes to diversity and inclusion and representation of multiple ethnic groups, especially Latinx. It's so important to have a mentor, someone who's been there, who's done it before, someone who is a little bit older and can guide you in what's right and what's wrong. And there's so many different avenues to go. For me, I was fortunate to have a couple of those people throughout my career. I'll be honest, I don't do a good enough job sometimes to keep in touch. But when I do, it's always, you know, great conversations. When I was at Slalom Consulting for a year and a few months, I met, you know, this awesome director at, at Slalom Build out of Boston. Shout out to Renee. He was um, one of the first ever, like, leaders that I've met in my career who was from Puerto Rico and, you know, much older than me but also so nice and kind and wanted to help me and just giving me advice about my career path, what's right, what's wrong, how I can stand out versus others. And I was so happy because it was the first time in my life that I had someone who I looked up to who was in the tech industry, who comes from a similar background, country like mine. And if you think that we're going through so many barriers to get to where we are today and more, think about the older generation, right? Like they must have gone through worse you know, that's why they're unicorns out there in terms of leadership. So uh, it's very good to listen. And likewise, I, I highly recommend that we also have people who want to sign up to be mentors because that's missing. There's not enough mentees to mentors either. So I think the best advice is if you are following someone's career path, someone you really enjoy, you want to follow and be a role model after, uh, reach out. Reach out. I've had people reach out to me who are much younger that I've been helping out and, and vice versa. You never know where it can lead to. And oftentimes it's not. It's going to probably expose you to new opportunities and a different perspective that you would have never known. And it's going to be part of, you know, your maturation process to become a better professional in person. Yeah, I love that. I love what you said. So get a mentor or be a mentee. Do your annual checkup. Go to therapy. 
What's more, drink water and exercise. <laughs> all of those things at once. Do all the right things. And I love how things are full circle as well. I remember in the beginning of my career, I had a mentor. She really helped me and it was so incredible. And we learn new things. We do different things. Sometimes they want to change their career. Sometimes it's the other way around, right? You can help them. So I think this is the most amazing thing because they can help you and then you can help them. So it's beautiful. It's amazing. I think we should always try to find mentors and, and overall help people. I think it depends on like your experience, your age. It doesn't matter. You can always help someone. Sometimes even like giving a different perspective, make them think about something that they never thought before. So I love those exchanges. Yeah, same, same here. I think that's the awesome part about it is you just learn so much from someone. And then again, like that's where you really learn more about yourself than ever. Imagine what we can do having people in our corner, right? Like it's been such a rare thing for so long, but we're stepping into uncharted territories, like water, deep waters that we, our ancestors going again, never, never could have dreamed that we would be in the moments and where we're at now. So I always say like that you don't have to do things alone either, you know, and it's always fun when you have someone else. Yeah. And you talked about program management. I'm also a program manager. And which advice would you give to someone who wants to transition to program management? Maybe they work in tech already or maybe they want to transition like from a tech space as a program manager. What would you say to them? Well, I think first to take you in a step back, like what is program management and why do we hear so much out there on LinkedIn and everywhere about product, but never program? <laughs> so there's already a big gap there that we need to close. And program management is a huge world. It's industry agnostic. Like you literally can be a program manager for each and every type of team or whether you're in finance or tech, it's not specific to one industry. but you think about what a program is and you compare it to something that I also hear a ton and that I've been in the past, like a project manager. What's the difference, right? <laughs> like a program, you're overseeing a large body of work, which is usually many, many different projects that could roll under a a region, a similar function, whereas in like a project manager, you might get into the real detail weaves of one specific project or maybe two specific projects. But as a program manager, Right. You're, you're doing a lot more. And a lot of your job is to communicate with stakeholders, build relationships, to manage multiple project plans, to do status and executive reporting. Right. Make sure everyone is put in the right place to succeed. So I like to compare it to like, you know, a chessboard where you're just like making sure everyone's in the right line and in the right position to move forward. So it, it's a huge career. And for what I'm doing at TikTok at the moment right now, I'm overseeing multiple projects that span across different Latin countries like Brazil, Mexico, and more for many different things, some that I can't talk about. But at the end, like the concept of program management is you can span maybe two, three, four years. So these are very long, high intensity programs, and you've got to be able to play the long game. Right. You got to be able to make sure that you're setting up for future success. 
in whichever way that looks. And you got to sometimes roll up your sleeves and, and talk to people. And the fun part about being a program manager is you interact with so many stakeholders from, you know, legal, security, trust and safety, engineering, sales, finance, HR, re- recruiting, like you literally get a hand with everyone and, and you get to form a vision. You got a strategy, you got a vision, you have a mission, and then you execute. Right. And then you bring everyone together. And at the end, it's the greatest feeling in the world when you're able to accomplish uh, what that common goal is. So I love program management. I highly recommend it to anyone who is likes multitasking, who likes organization, who likes public speaking and talking and building relationships as well, and who really, truly wants to make an impact in the long term. So I highly recommend it. We'll get into this a little bit more. But one of the things that I'm doing right now is trying to fix that gap. So I I started just recently my own thing called Excel with Noel, which essentially is going to be a portfolio of different services that I'm going to offer. It's for free right now. It's not like I'm not charging or anything like that. It's it's giving back to the community on just like what are the best practices, tips and tricks to break into tech. What is a career in program management? What are the things you need to succeed, right? How can you get started? How can you update your resume to reflect some of those tasks that we look for and examples to be a program manager? And I'm going to be sharing those on uh, both LinkedIn and TikTok on my new channel, also called at Excel with Noel. So make sure to follow me there and I'll be sharing all of my tips and tricks and short content. Amazing. I love that. We are going to link to the description of this episode so you can learn more about the Excel with Noel program. Very, very excited. Thank you for giving back to the community and talking about something that you're totally right. We don't talk much about program management. I think there's also a sense where some companies, they might use the wrong terminology. Sometimes they talk about product management, but they are in fact referring to program management or project management. So it's very confusing overall because those three professions start with P and it's very similar. And sometimes we just say PM, that means a lot of different things. So thank you for sharing more with us. I just want to add real quick, like the third P to that is there's portfolio management, then there's program management, then there's project management. And then in, in the more technical detail, we there's a scrum master they, and they all do like very different things. So portfolio, you're really looking at a collection of programs. This is a step above a program manager. It is a very rigorous role as well. And it tends to be for someone who is more at the executive level, whereas in like a program manager, again, you're managing a collection of projects that could all be towards, you know, one vision. Like if I got to roll out a new technology system for a new store, For example, like my program could be, I don't know, fraud and benefit recovery or something along those lines. And under that fraud and recovery space, right, you have so many projects that might fall under on what you need to get done. So, again, program management, we're worrying about the success of this fraud and recovery program, which might have a two year date and might have a bunch of little things happening all at once, which all roll up. Whereas in a project manager is going into the details and owning one or two or three of those little projects that fall under there where they're the detailed experts. So it's, a lot of times we can't get into those detailed conversations, right? Like, because we just don't have the time 
So a status report from a program manager perspective is going to feature multiple projects, multiple work streams, multiple red, green, yellow type of statuses, whereas in a project manager, it's going to go one by one to here's the status of project X, project Y, project Z, and so forth. So just wanted to provide that context for the listeners. Yeah, that's great. And something that I always tell people when they think, what is a project? And a project manager is the person who works in the project in a task level. So they're responsible for the timeline, the budget, the quality. So they get very deep into the task level of the project. So, and the project, one characteristic of the project is that it has an end time. So if the project doesn't have an end time, it might not be a project. It's probably an operation, something that happens often all the time. But a project, they have a timeline, an initial time, end time, a budget, and the deliverable, right? That you, you set all the quality, some aspects of that project, how it needs to be delivered. And I always say to people with program management, you never get tired, you never get like bored because there's always something new happening. It's very dynamic because you're always very business focused. So you might need to pivot all the time and work with a lot of very amazing cross-functional teams. So I highly recommend taking a closer look. And again, we are going to link the Excel with Noel for the description of this episode. I'm very excited to share that, Noel. (laughs) Thank you. I appreciate it. And I hope that so everyone listening as well, not hope, I feel we will do this. Like, I'm just going to say it right now, we both need to collaborate on a, a program management session out there and, and maybe with some other program managers to, to help educate the audience and people who are interested in those careers. I think there's a lot that we could bring to the table. And I think you have this as well. And I, I think I've seen, right, like the certifications that come with this learning, uh, like a PMP, for example, is crucial. It teaches you so, so much about the different topics are of a project and program and best practices and how you should do things in industry. And, and you learn from that, right? And you apply into situations. So you don't have to start from nowhere. If you're interested in a career in program management, we're both right here. And then we can talk to you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm very excited about that. And also, I have a happen to have a blog that talks about it. So I can link to the description of this awesome. episode. But overall, I think maybe like someone is coming from design or customer support, or you can have skills that you can transfer to program management, especially if you talk with users, you know a lot about your business, you are a person that is naturally organized and likes to think strategically and is used to work with different cross-functional teams. You have a lot to bring to the table already. I think it's more about how you present those skills during an interview process as well, how you tell your narrative for people who understand what you can bring to the table. Yes, absolutely agree with all that. (laughs) Also, we are getting to the end of this episode. I'm very sad because I'm having a lot of fun talking with you, Noel. And I wanted to ask you, which resource helped you in your journey? Do you have any recommendation for us? Um, There's a few different resources. I I think it just depends on like what it is that you want to get into. I think 
there's so many nonprofit Latinx, Latino, Latina based organizations, first of all, that I highly recommend looking into. Most of them you may have heard before. There's you know, Tequeria, there's Alpha, there's SHIP, Latinas in Tech, uh, Prospanica, and so many more out there, which would be great if you're looking to get involved in, in the Latinx community. From a mental health perspective, like I, I feel like, you know, therapy is very helpful. Um, I like to share my stories personally through LinkedIn because it helps me get my ideas out. And now as well through TikTok. And I think everyone, especially in our community, should focus a lot on the mental health aspect. Um, I didn't get to talk a lot about it, but in a short story, like I lost both my parents in the past 10 years. My mom, unfortunately, in 2017 and, and my dad in 2011 when I was in college. And both of them were a big part of my life and why I do the things that I do today and why I'm so like passionate about giving back and helping because my parents were like that too. And I feel like I give a lot that, you know, they weren't able to do. I do it now through my own offerings, my own words, and keep their memories alive by sharing my story. So for anyone out there who's going through it, just know, like, it's all right to have, you know, good days and bad days. You're definitely not alone. Everyone's struggling with something, you know, and it's always best if you want help to go seek it and, and to talk to people who are, you realize more people are going through the same thing than you think. And you have that shared uh understanding. So I definitely recommend that. And the last thing is, like I mentioned, from a project and program standpoint, um, I think definitely check out PMI.org. I'm going to put in the plug because I loved it. I love my experience just uh, going through the PMP training certification process. So if you're looking into a career, there's so many certifications that the Project Management Institute PMI offers. And it's very like industry standard. It's going to look great on your resume. It's going to be great for foundational knowledge um, and will truly teach you like the little things that you've been always wanting to know about uh, how to get started and talk to people. Last thing, talk to people, talk, interview people, talk on podcasts like these, tell your story and, and learn from other experienced people. And you'll quickly have a, a huge list of resources that no one else will have just by your simple network. Incredible. Those are great tips. Thank you so much for your time. I enjoyed a lot. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And hopefully we get to do this again. And I'm just so excited. So thanks again for providing this platform for, for all of us. Awesome. 